And this is Rational Hour, yeah. Is it Rational? Yeah. I'm in the game when it's crunch time. Yeah. I call the play like the coach do. Tell them boys they can't touch my leap. example the way I'm supposed to. I got more reason a little bit, a little more than a lot. Only compare me to Bill, a better you feel. I'm sick of the skills. All I'm perfecting, I put them all on blast. Rational Hour, it's more than a podcast. Follow on Twitter, get done with the move. It's Friday night, and this is how we do it. Let's keep it objective, I'm talking statistics. Executive none, we're ethic ridiculous. I'm on a job, grind the pine. Wash King, while I'm still in my prime. Prime time when I'm on live, I just intercepted another bag. Homegrown, like a month apart, ain't hard to tell you a bad man. The game plans like a suspect. Get your coach's death, you do better. If you knew better, you do better. We're in a winning streak, we ain't losing. Never, never, never. And this is Rational Hour. Home run like a month apart, ain't hard to tell you, Batman. Said this is Rational Hour. If you knew better, you do better. We in a winning streak, we ain't losing never. Welcome to the Rational Hour, Ryan. On today's show, we're going to discuss a little California high school and college landscape with basketball and football. On today's show, we have a true historian in the game. When it comes to print media, this guy is one of the best in the business. Rational Hour, please help me welcome Mr. Ronnie Flores. How are you doing, sir? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate coming on uh, your show and uh, excited to be on and, uh, you know, talk about a little bit about football and basketball over the years. Yes, sir. Now, Ronnie, you're a senior editor. Um, you've been in the game for over 20 years um, in print media covering with such great publications like Cal High Sports, Ball is Life, and, and most recently with Grassroots.net. And you also do a lot of scouting and in, in covering like the Fab 50. Ryan, I, I'd always liked high school sports and, you know, followed it. So I guess the, the start of it is me playing as a kid. You know, my dad teaching me a little bit about every sport. But then uh, I really stepped it up when I went on a bus and LAUSD in the eighties, you know, a lot of kids rode buses, schools were very crowded and there was good opportunity to get better education at a school further from my house. So my parents made the decision in third grade that in fourth grade, I would go to school in the San Fernando Valley. I went to um, Balboa elementary in Encino and in Porter junior high, which is a feeder high school to Kennedy and Granada Hills and the LAUSD. And it was good teachers at the time. Good good, you know, rapport, LAC, USD wasn't, uh, didn't have the reputation of some of the things it's going through today. Obviously, mm -hmm. this is 35 years ago, 40 years, whatever it is now, time is going by 35 years ago. But, <laughs> you know, um, again, I got up at 5, 515, 5.30 in the morning catching a bus. I had a lot of time to A, read, and B, meet people from all over the city. So we stop at Audubon, we'd stop at Edison Jr., we'd stop at Jefferson, we'd stop at Dorsey, hit the 10, hit the 5, you know, go to Belmont. We'd Sometimes we'd cross, go to the west side, go to Hamilton, go to Dorsey. So you say, oh, what is this school? You know, who, oh, who lives over here? Oh, you go to North Hollywood. Oh, man, you go to uh, Kennedy. Oh, man, you go all the way to Taft. Kind of like you saw in, in, um, in the movie Compton when yeah. or straight out of Compton when Ice Cube got on that bus and he, and he started writing his lyrics and he went mm -hmm. out to Taft in the Valley, which is probably mm -hmm. a few years before I started going to school out there with, when he went. And you just, like I said, meet people, meet experiences. And my thing was reading the newspapers and reading magazines and sports articles. When did you get your start in print media? What was your first gig? To college, uh, after school, after high school. You know, I'd, I'd always been following it. 
I was reading, you know, four or five newspapers at the time, reading anything I could get my hands on, talking to people, mm-hmm. meeting people, you know, going to bowls, going to the shrine game, going any any big event I could yeah. get my hands on, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I went to UCSB and I met publisher Andy Bark. He published California Football with Mark Tennis and he ran Student Sports, which had turned its name into Student Sports. So they were at the Anaheim Hilton. It's kind of funny, uh, you know, they had a, there was a training facility there that California, a lot of Southern California athletes uh, kind of uh, went there to, to learn about things. Like these kids in Southern California in the late 80s, early 90s were so far ahead of everybody else around the country because of Marv Marinovich, basically. You know, he had an office there and, and Cal High Sports had a, an editorial office. They had a magazine and it, it was, um, it turned into the name Student Sports. I think it was the brand, brainchild of Stan Castleton, who's son uh played football and basketball modern day so he owned the hanaheim hilton so the office was there so i met andy bark and i said hey when i finish for college you know i'd love to get involved i'd love to hit you up and i think he probably heard that still kind of stuff before Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure he's heard people say that but i really did i when i was done i just walked into his office cold turkey really literally i walked into his office cold turkey he was nice and receptive he didn't you know, he was a little like, whoa, you know, I, I, I he's in the middle of, of work. And he goes, hey, yeah, call me and hit me back. And I, you know, interned and got my start there. I'd always felt that I would work in something like that. And like I said, I always felt that I was already doing it just because mm. of the things I was doing for, for in high school already. So, like, my high school coaches would ask me, my basketball coach would be like, well, how's North Hollywood? How's Grant? And, you know, we were obviously, I went to Van Nuys High School and, I mean, I knew everything about the other schools. It's the, the, what kind of, you know, team they had, who their players were, what mm-hmm. kind of team they had, who to watch, what to defend, who was weak, who was a gamer, who was, you know, all that, about all, all the teams uh, that I could follow around. Because I, I talked to players, and I knew which coaches were good, which weren't. And I, I at the time, Ryan, I honestly, I thought every school was like that. I thought everybody was like that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, no, some kids just played. They love it. They, they didn't know what was going on out there. But yeah. I, I followed it. So, you know, luckily he, make a long story short, he gave me my first gig and it took off from there. You know, I was working with, with Cal High Sports and Student Sports at the time. And they had a national magazine. Of, and then on the cover, they had a lot of guys that you'd be familiar with, you know, and, and, and they became popular over time. And it, it really gained its real popularity probably like late 90s, early 2000s when magazines were about it at their peak. Uh, what was your relationship like with Marvin Rinovich? I can sum up the whole thing with, with Marvin. It's not really related to Marvin directly. I talked to Chris Bosch one time, the former all-star with the Raptors and the Heat. And yeah. we talked about AAU basketball, right, when he was a kid. And I asked him, this was about at a, at a USA uh, basketball uh, mini camp. So it might have been 07, 08, somewhere around there, maybe in training for the 08 Olympics. And he goes, Ronnie, you know, yeah, that was a great time. You know, Texas ball was – wasn't really getting the respect he gets now 20 years later. This is, you know, he was in high school 20 years ago at, at Dallas Lincoln. And mm-hmm. he was like, to be honest, Ronnie, when we played teams from California and a little bit from New York, we were just scared. We wow. were just freaking scared because, again, like I said, Ed O'Bannon, Charles O'Bannon, Shea Cotton, uh, the list goes on and on of the guys who went through Mars program down there at the NIM Hilton. They were so far ahead of everybody else just physically and what they were learning Mm-hmm. that they were so good so young. And, I mean, we, honestly, we can have a part about just that alone, about right, the guys right. who were Jeez. just, you know, 
they were they were so they were so good at 14 and 15 again because of some of Marv's uh, methods and his Eastern Bloc what he learned the Eastern Bloc training and, and right. he had a famous quote that said the only thing good a bench press is for is to get your opponent off you when he flattens you and when you're on the ground which is kind of mm. true you know so that that's kind of interesting how that all came to me and I'm sure we'll talk about some of those guys that a little later in the pot of who he trained up who he chose yeah I was just uh, Ronnie just listening to I had Travis Reed on my show and him and Chris Johnson were on and Chris Johnson said he would train with Marvin, Doug Gottlieb, and um, Shea Cotton and a couple other guys. Um, the other guy from Tustin that trained with Gottlieb, the center, Lazurian, I think his name was. And, uh, David Lazurian, yep. He was uh, one year older. He was one year younger than Doug. Yeah, yeah. And he said they all would train with Marvin. I didn't know he trained so many basketball athletes. Did He He had a, a training camp or a training camp like in, in Capitol Valley and at the Anaheim Hilton? necessarily at Capo Valley because Todd went to Capo Valley mm-hmm. for two years and uh perhaps you know he went to modern day his first two years and mm-hmm. and uh you know him and his his wife unfortunately split so he lived with Todd and he I don't know if he had something out of Capo Valley or not but obviously Todd ended there but yeah he definitely trained a lot of kids at the Anaheim Hilton and that's the experience I know of where they went oh, okay. like I said Ed O'Bannon the, the, the Cotton James and Shea Jeez, they were people geez. knowing them. Uh, Michael Graham, I don't know if you remember that name. He was supposed to be a big back. Oh, yeah, one, running back, back. modern day. Yeah, he was a Edison. Yeah. To Edison, and then he left his charter oak. So he didn't really – he's another guy that didn't really oh, – basketball, too, as a young kid. He didn't really have the career he thought it was going to happen. And a lot of those guys did. Again, there's a lot of burnout, I think, uh, even – Castleton's son David you know you go look at Shea Cotton and 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 Castleton David and they had a few other guys at sophomores they won the state championship mm-hmm. and you're thinking at the time like how good can this modern day team be this is 1995 mm-hmm. and and they kind of like the peak for a lot of them you know what I mean yeah, right, right. Really get, like you're looking at Dave Castleton he's a starter in football and basketball you're like wow but I yeah. remember he later came out a story saying, you know, I was at Orange Coast College. I was 20 years old, 21 years old, and he was burned out. And obviously we can talk about Shea, you know, uh, on his own. But uh, you're looking at him at, at 6'5", 210, 215 with no body fat, all of Marv's training. And he was the perfect kid to train in that method. And, he I mean, he looked like an NFL outside linebacker at 15. And he yeah. could jump 40-something inches. It was, you know, you where do you go from there? You know, where do you yeah, go from there? That, I mean, it's it's so. crazy, Ronnie, because a lot of those modern day guys were like that. I, they yeah. that whole nineties era, even yeah. at the end of the nineties, they had a running back named McNair that yeah, was just Mike a bulldozer McNair. and I think he ended yeah. up going to Notre Dame and didn't pan out either. But it's it's crazy how modern day and just Rollinson is in itself that he's adapted um, you know, through the decades and, and, and produced so many great uh, winning uh, years for the for, for the program. They are now, yeah, it's 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 amazing. So, yeah, you know that that's uh, I think the rest of the country's quote unquote caught up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They yeah. have training. They 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 read things. They get things online. They they fast learn twitch. to probably yeah the the fast twitch things to work on, not to just hit the bench press and all day long. You know. They, you know, and obviously Marv was way ahead of that, and and it paid off for those '90s athletes that they were kind of some of my were peers, some of them were my friends, and and they were just so good, 
Yeah. You know, I, I think it must have been shocking for a lot of parents to be like, wait a minute, am I in the right gym? Like, is this the 14 and under? Is this the 15 and under? Yeah, that kid is 6'4", 6'5", and he is dunking off vert. Like, it's nothing. Phil is the best athlete that you ever covered. Um, I have a few names. I think overall, probably the best athlete, just I'll say in terms of, I'll give you a couple of names, but Steve comes to first because he's so unassuming. If you see Steve at a UFC party or uh, around town, run-of-the-mill varsity athlete. Really, he does. Until you get him on the field. Uh. Like, average 20 points a game in basketball as a freshman. It's against a pretty good competition. Like, Wait, who, who did you say? Get right after you said Steve who? Steve Smith, the wide receiver from Oh, Cal, oh, oh right, I'm thinking right. of Steve Smith from University High to the Carolina. No, Steve Smith, who went to USC, who had the big game against Oklahoma in the uh, champ, you know, in the championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played with the Giants. Giants. He played with the Giants. Yes, and he got his some brothers. I think his brother just retired with yeah. linebacker Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm was a Super Bowl MVP, right, and for the play for Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. And when you look at Steve, he held all the California receiving records for many years until the past happy offenses. Somebody eventually broke it. But he had 95 to 100 catches for three years. And Brandon wow. Hans, who was who replaced Steve, would be our best receiver right now. When he was like going into 11, he's like, he's already better than every receiver I have at Purdue right now. But you don't look, mm-hmm. when you see him, you don't think that. You're like, oh, no, he just, he's okay. He's good. Until he, you see what he's producing, the numbers he's producing. That's football, right? He, if, if he was 14 years old as a freshman, if he was able to play football, he wasn't able to play varsity because he was too young, he would have had another 85, 90 catches. And that would put the number, you know, he would he would be the number one receiver statistically in, in California still. But even then, he's still one of the best ever statistically. And when you watch him play, he just catches everything. He doesn't really drop balls. But then when you look at defensively as a junior, he had 12 interceptions. He had – 20 in his career and then when you look at what he did in basketball for four years he averaged over 20 points and he played with Jordan Farmar and Jordan Farmer kind of was going to become the guy who was going to be the bigger recruit but as a high school player he really until they were one year apart so meaning when Jordan was a junior Steve was a senior Mm -hmm. it wasn't really till Jordan became going into a senior that was like okay he's the focal point of the team he's he's going to be a great player Steve was just just as good as a productive high school player. Like I said, he he averaged 20-some of the points a game. Then he played track. He did the 4 by 100 4 by 400 And I don't know if you know this, Steve can swim well. He played a little bit of volleyball. Spilled, you know, like he could just – it was just natural <laughs> to him. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, again, I kind of put him up there only because, like you said, he's not the Robo, Marinovich, uh super quarterback mm. or or the Shea Cotton dominant athlete. He's just a, a, a an average oh, like you yeah. saying, he looks like he's 5'11", 185. You know what I mean? Oh, like, okay, okay. Like, he looks like Steph Curry does to a lot of basketball fans. Just like a just normal, an average Joe. Yeah. Average Joe. Yeah. yeah he's not yeah. a freak of nature in any in any way, shape or form, but he's Gen- so good. Okay. That's, that's yeah, interesting. So I, yeah, I like him. Obviously, I would throw in there's like a high, high right behind those. Uh, Mike Stan, he played football, basketball, and baseball. He was terrific in baseball. He was good in basketball. He was probably a D1 player in basketball, low D1. 
And then obviously mm-hmm. in football, he was really, really, really good. I remember mm-hmm. just him catching a touchdown against Long Beach Poly. And I was like, and he had a, caught a two-point conversion to beat Canyon and a good Canyon team. So he was really good. Uh, I think the highest rated guy, like you say, as we're talking about recruiting and the highest rated guy in both sports who really was that good in both sports was probably Tony Gonzalez. I mean, he's, mm. you know, that good. I think uh, our guy that's recently now uh, from Moore Park, um, mm. receiver at SC, he's pretty close. But I, I think Tony was legitimately like a first or second team All-American in football and was legitimately like a top 40 player in basketball. Are you referring to uh, Drake London? Yeah, Drake had a great year. Unfortunately, got injured at the end. But, like, Drake was a man-child okay. in, uh, in football and basketball, obviously. And, obviously, he focused on receiver. receiver wasn't really on the other side of the ball that much. Mm. And, and, and But Tony was. Tony was a linebacker and tight end. And, you know, he led Huntington Beach just very far in basketball. They played some mm. really good teams. Like, they were – they were, uh, you know, they, they went to the final against modern day his junior year, and they were very good with his senior year as well. You know what I mean? Now, now looking back, Ronnie, I, I, it's just from my era, just watching, you know, I grew up in Leadwood, then I moved to Orange County in high school, and I've seen so many great football players. Thinking back to some of the guys you've seen you covered live, like uh, my era, I mean, I had, you know, Justin Fargus, um, Deshaun Foster, um, uh, just some great running backs. Um, about McNair. Um, who are some of the best football players? I know you mentioned Tony Gonzalez, but who's the best football player you feel you've ever seen in person? Uh, can I throw out a, a Mount Rushmore? Or just keep it a one. Uh, whatever you want. No, you know, you know what? Just, just, just do the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. But I don't want yeah. to include NorCal. I want to keep it a SoCal because I think DJ Williams is the oh, best high school player I I've ever seen. About him. Yeah, yeah, I think DJ's the best, the most. Uh, physically fit and in a program where they cared about winning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't yeah. an individual. He's part of that program. And he was an NFL ready type player. So I, I'm not including him because I want to stick to Southern California. So I would say uh, it was a close second with Matt Grudegood. I give Matt a lot of credit for what he did against that poly team. You know, he had like mm-hmm. 244 yards rushing, had like 15 tackles on the defensive side. I mean, you can play – when you look at it as a football player and you want to say who's a football player, I want to see Matt Rudigood, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the definition of a football player to me. You know, he wasn't going to become a great NFL player. He was good in college, but, like, he he played to the maximum of his, of his potential. But I think mm-hmm. the most talented football player I probably ever saw, uh, it's between two guys, I would say is Curtis Conway and Napoleon mm-hmm. Conway. I'll say Curtis Conway. Uh, wow. Just so good. So fast. Again, he's a state meter, 100-meter champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a good size, strong arm, good mechanics, could run, could play DB, could play wide receiver, could re- return, the, return kicks and punts if he needed to, and he was a great quarterback. So everybody talks about Michael Vick, and I'm like, yeah, Michael, man, Michael Vick took it to the next level. I'm like, yeah, I, I saw Michael Vick. He was just right-handed. He's Curtis Conway. You know what I mean? Like, I saw you're like, I saw he's just right-handed. You know what I mean? Not left-handed. Like, so that mm-hmm. type of speed, that type of ability. And, you know, and, and I'm not the person who invented saying this. Andy Bark did, uh, you know, the president of student sports at the time. And he was like, yeah, Curtis plays in the NFL. That's great. He 
he's playing his fourth best position. <laughs> so I just start laughing when I hear that, you know, like, you know, cause that's just life, I guess, you know, you're, you're trying to make it, you're trying to improve your situation and have a great living. And it's like, maybe Curtis thought it was, or maybe somebody advised Curtis the best way to do that is to be a wide receiver right? with your size mm-hmm. and speed, you know? So, uh, and I would say, uh, I said Curtis, so I would say Napoleon Kaufman from Longpole comes right in right there, right behind him, you know, uh, again, another sprint champion. So explosive. I, I think to the black Mamba came at Crenshaw, I would, those are the two names when I think of like explosive off the line of scrimmage, at top speed, getting by guys in pad because you know you know this, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Guys who sprint and have speed that doesn't necessarily mean they're that fast when they cut and put the pads on. Right, you know what right. I mean? We know mm-hmm. that we've seen those guys all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They look good in passing leagues. They look good in in the at the Sun Kiss Invitational. They look good in the football fifty five. Then when they get mm-hmm. on the field, they lose a little something, right? Like right. Uh, Napoleon didn't. Yeah, he was so explosive. And he was super, yeah, he was just super good, you know, like just good in the NFL. I mean, I'm he moved on fast, it's kind of like he retired a little fast, yeah. Uh, You know, he kind of kept his faculties, you know, he's not all banged up in life, he's not, you know, you know, again, I don't want to speak for the man, but he doesn't have all these glaring and nasty injuries, you know, he kind of moved on with his life, and I'm happy for him. He averaged, he did good with with the Raiders, he averaged 5.2 yards per carry. It's probably mm-hmm. one of the highest averages. Again, he didn't play 12 years, but, um, you know, I, I'm happy for him. He was so good at Washington. He's probably the best Pac-10 slash 12 back of the of the 90s, I would think. I mean, who's better in the 90s than what, in the Pac as far as running back from any state? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he in high school, he was just a man among boys. Great. Put Lompoc on the map, really, if you think about it. What else would you know Lompoc for if he wasn't for yeah. Napoleon? Yeah, that's you know? true. I mean, I mean, he's a legend up there. He's a legend anywhere in the 805. People talk about him all the time. Mm-hmm. And very kind of a personal note, like a family member of mine who went to Beverly High School and a good friend of mine who went to Santa Barbara High School, they they played against Napoleon. So they told me how good he was. So I knew at least opponents of good friends that played against Napoleon his senior year and was just like, you had angles on this guy. You thought you had an angle, and he's just so explosive. So. Those are the three gays guys that that stick out to me, and and then the fourth one I would probably be just from the like his notoriety standpoint and and all the the hype and stuff he got, and and he was very good was Russell White. You know, he was kind of mm-hmm. like the Shea, Shea Cotton of, of of football in terms of I can't think of a bigger Pop Warner name. You know, I you know maybe you 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 might be more ingrained in me in that, and and who's a bigger Pop Warner name? I don't know. The Black uh... Mamba was pretty big. I wish I knew a little bit more about Pop Warner everywhere. I know some Pop Warner, like I know like Inglewood All-American Stace, uh, you know, Baldwin oh, Park Raiders, geez. obviously the 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 Snoop League with, with DeAnthony, but I can't think of anybody who really came into high school with more fanfare than Russell. Like people mm-hmm. were expecting him to do what he did and he did it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that I, I give him a lot of credit. He's also, I think, from the Cal High Sports perspective, and again, Mark Tennis was covering the state all around California in the early 80s and the mid 80s and mm-hmm. all up until still now. And it he was the first name where people, random people in various towns asked him about Russell White. How good is he? How tall is he? Yeah, How he fast? had a huge just his 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 aura because he was the man. 
he was the man. I mean, he, he definitely had that that you know that aura about him. His name was just um just in lore of, of just great. His his brother, he had like seven brothers that were all running backs. Oh, okay. He had a big family. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, they weren't all his. They were Roosevelt was his father who played at Oregon. That's uh, Charles' brother. So those they were his. That was uh, his nephews. Their nephew Russell was uh, their nephew. So he even had uncles who were younger than him that were running backs. They were not. He was. That was their, you know, their uncle. You know what I'm saying? Even though he was older, mm-hmm. he's. So that's a very interesting story. Obviously, Charles is his uncle, and Jerry Brown from Oregon, who you probably know is his uncle. And oh, Jerry's five or six younger, years younger than him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Leonis Brown, who played at Colorado State, is his uncle. Man, He's two years younger. Yeah, I mean, they all, and <laughs> it's funny, Russell was a little different because, interesting, Russell didn't go to San Fernando High School. Almost all those guys went to San Fernando High School. Did right? he go to and Crespi? They, yeah, he went to Crespi. So they ran the they ran the wishbone over there, and they thought when Russell comes here and runs this wishbone, we're going to beat Car- Carson, we're going to beat Banning, we're going to have the best team ever assembled, right? Mm-hmm. And he chooses to go to Crespi. You know, his mom wanted him to go there, he maybe change his education level up, get him around a diverse group of kids. And, and uh... it was a, that was a big that was a big moment because I'll tell you the truth, the LA Times Magazine had a story on him where is he going to choose high school? So, like, Cleveland wow. was waiting. Uh, obviously, San Fernando was – everybody thought he was going to go to San Fernando. And it was like – I remember the coach, Jimmy Landers, who coached at Cleveland. He was like, I felt like – I when Russell didn't come here, he was like, I felt like, you know, somebody died in his, in my family. Because whatever school he went to was going to turn him around. There was no question yeah. about it. Wasn't that much be of like a game changer. Wow. That much of a game changer. I think he's one of the first African American students ever at Crespi. So it was a big what? moment. Wow. Yes. I didn't know that. Russell, yeah, Russell was. It was very interesting. I wonder uh, why he went to Cal. I mean, because Cal wasn't really like a big time program, was his grades. But Cal's a good academic school. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's because uh Cal because after the junior sayout situation at USC, you know, junior was a prop 48. Right. So, uh, again, that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other, yeah. Issue of uh, academics and integrity, but junior mm. sayout Conway was also a uh, prop 48 at, U- at USC. So, you, Oceanside High School, where he is beloved and he right. loves that Oceanside community. He was crying and he apologized. He goes, guys, it wasn't your fault. Um, you know, you prepared me. Well, he went in front of a group of teachers and administrators at the high school and personally apologized to them. He's, I didn't mean to embarrass you. It wasn't your fault. I just didn't do good on the test or whatever he said. But mm. that was a big moment. That I mean, that was controversial then in the 80s, Ryan, of the Prop 48. So yeah. that even made Russell's name bigger because people were waiting to see if he could pass that SAT. Again, mm. we saw it in Boys in the Hood, that magical seven. It's just a magical number everybody knows. Ricky, like, you need to hit 700, right? Like, right, if you hit 690, your whole life's different. If you hit 710, it's like, hallelujah. Life-changing, for real. It's a life-changing number. Everybody knows 700. If I tell you, yeah. oh, dude, dude got a 700, I'm like, what? Ooh. You know, woo, he hit 700, like, he's it. You know what I mean? So, Russell was, a, again, 
imagine Russell going to junior college? That that would have been who knows? That would have been crazy. But Man. he 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 had to go because of the junior Seahaw situation. USC stopped accepting Prop Forty Eight, so he wouldn't have been able to get oh, into their right? admission. Oh. Yeah, they stopped stopped accepting Prop Forties. That's why uh, Jerome Casey from uh, Silmar also couldn't go to SC, and also why Curtis couldn't enroll right away. Curtis had to go to El Camino College. Yeah, he went to Elko for one year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Curtis went to Elko and then then moved over. But yeah, so Russell again, that was a big moment because he said Cal had high academic standards, and mm-hmm. a lot of non-football and non-sports people were saying, "Why are they allowing this young man in if he doesn't have the credentials to handle the, the you know, the academic side?" Mm-hmm. And it was a big mo- that kept him in his name too. So that made him even even bigger because not only was he good on the field, the Prop Forty Eight issue was big at that time, and it's kind of hard to grasp your your hands head around it. Mm-hmm. Younger than thirty years old for your young listeners that are listening to this, like that was a big issue for every star athlete, especially like inner city athletes, you know. So. That's why he went oh. to Cal because they accepted him. He could get oh, in. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I know Cal's a good academic school. I didn't realize the backstory on that, but uh, Ronnie, just talking about running backs, running backs that I really like. One guy I want to get your thoughts on that I believe you covered, but but one guy that stands out, man, Lawrence Phillips. He was. I've heard so many guys that I know that that were hung around him and uh, you knew him kind of personally, and they said this dude wasn't you know wired all that tight, but as far as, you know, when he strapped up the chin pad and put on the helmet, nobody could touch him as a running back. He was that dominant at, I believe, um, Baldwin Hills. Um, what do you think of Lawrence in that whole situation? I feel for Lawrence because at the time, sports knew his high school coach real well. And he goes, hey, I'm trying to help this guy. Mm. If you know the backstory of Lawrence, Lawrence grew up on 42nd and Central. Okay. So uh, he was a big kid. I'm pretty sure he was a strong kid. I'm pretty sure he was an aggressive kid, you know, and he was like, Mm-hmm. This kid's going to get into fights. So you know mm-hmm. how it is in the hood sometimes. Like, when you see a kid is getting into fights at 10 years old, you know what that's going to happen, what's going to turn into at 16 and 17, mm-hmm. right? So somebody's made the decision, hey, he's got to get out of there. You know, something bad could happen. And I think he was living in a group home in West Covina. So Lawrence went to West Covina High School for 10th grade and played there, right? Uh-huh. And then he transferred over to uh, – because he was in a group home. So he transferred over to – and I'm not sure exactly what he was in there for, but he was, uh, you know, he, he get into a lot of trouble and said, you know, the youth, youth authority kind of thing. They, they, mm-hmm. he, you know, he was there and he was playing sports and he was good. So that was an avenue for him. Then he went over to Baldwin Park and turned it out and they had a good team, you know, and that's mostly a Latino high school. And those mm-hmm. guys were tough. They had a good teammate, you know, he had a good team around them and they won a couple of championships at their level. So, that year, I think everybody thought Saladin McCullough was the best probably running back recruit. Mm-hmm. And him and Shrine Game, I think Saladin was the MVP. Lawrence got a lot of carries. And they were pretty close. They were different style back. Obviously, yeah. Saladin was a speedster. And he could hit the line of scrimmage and, and kind of, uh, you know, hit the pop the big one. Lawrence was probably stronger, accelerated just as good. And just was physical, you know, and and had size and that aggressive, like you said, it looked for when you, when you when you put on the pads, he can he can deliver it. And mm-hmm. I think by the end of the year, people thought he was just as good or not, you know, just as good as Saladin, who had a great senior year, obviously at New York. 
and he became a good back at Oregon after after he had his own uh, admission problems at SC. You know, he was going to go to SC, and he mm-hmm. some people said that his academics didn't match his SAT. So, again, Lawrence, mm-hmm. um, backstory about that, not bad student, and he went to Nebraska. Nebraska could accept Prop 48, but he wasn't a Prop 48. But Lawrence wanted to go to Notre Dame, believe it or mm-hmm. not. And Lawrence didn't get recruited by Lou Holtz, by the Irish. And I think that was like one thing that kind of disappointed him, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he wasn't on their radar. Maybe he didn't meet their academic requirements. But, I mean, he found a home in Nebraska, don't get me wrong. But it's like, you know, Lawrence just I, – I don't know if people – maybe he thought, how football, who's really looking after me? Who really cares about me, you know? And then obviously some of that came to light later at he had a, some anger issues, obviously, and, and some problems at Nebraska and, and in the pros. And people try to help him. Man. It's just a tragic story. You know, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's that many backs that I think are better than Lawrence. I mean, and wow. what he did at Baldwin Park, I mean, he turned it up a notch at Nebraska. It was like, mm-hmm. well, give this guy. I mean, he was he's a high, legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. He doesn't get that obviously now famous suspension for fighting with, you know, assaulting his girlfriend. I mean, he might have won that Heisman. Yeah, yeah. He, he probably was going to win that Heisman. I always talk about that year. I don't hear because I still can't believe Eddie George won the Heisman over Tommy Frazier. I think it's a big joke. Yeah, that's just my opinion. But, again, everybody has their opinion. You know, mm, Eddie George ain't a bad player, but right. Tommy was the man. Yeah, you know, like, Tommy is the man, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tommy. But, you know, Lawrence got, Lawrence got into, you know, he had a great sophomore year, and he played as a freshman. And he mm-hmm. had 1,700 yards as a sophomore. So it's not like he wasn't – he was right there in front running for a Heisman. So it kind of all went downhill. And obviously the Rams gave him a chance, but he didn't really – you know, that didn't really work. And unfortunately he's gone now, you know. You just hear about what happens to him. And, like, you heard, like, did he really run over people playing, you know, tag football or, or – or, uh, The park, yeah, right? Was it on the – yeah. call see him. It's like, what happened? You know, what's yeah, going that's... on? That's how insane. did they trigger him? How, what did what did they tell him? You know, I, I just it, that's insane. You know, you're right. That's no no other word to put it, but that's insane. And I yeah, feel for him. Yeah. And and, and uh, I, I I don't know how big his family is or where, where they're at, but uh, you know, I'm a big Lawrence Phillip fan. His firms, I always wanted him to see him succeed, and it's sad to see that he's not with us no more. Yeah, rest in peace, Mr. Phillips. Man, definitely one of the greatest uh, running backs in my eyes. Uh, man, he was a straight savage, man. I heard he was pretty much Debo uh, from t- the original Debo from Friday. Like, he was that dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, he had that aura about him. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody messed with him, really. I And that might have been the problem. That might, You know, you know this when you play football. You want to be part of a brotherhood. <laughs> right, you know I mean? right. I feel what you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, that you know, some been. guys are like, that's a crazy cat, you know? Yeah, And, you yeah. know, the guys who are usually crazy, it's usually – a fullback or a defensive end? Like, yeah, yeah guys, because there's always the Kinda smart wild. defensive end. It's mm-hmm. like, whoa, the, the crazy defensive end. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. Or he's some crazy running back. Like, dude, he, he just hard for him to fit in that camaraderie. You wonder if he ever fat. He definitely didn't have it in the NFL. I could tell. Like, uh, he's not close to anybody well, in the NFL. They said you know? uh, Dick Vermeil was really trying to. Really trying to help him out, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard. That Dick Vermeil was really, you know, real close to him. He was trying to get to him, but. He was kind of wilding out. He was making so much money. He was just, you know, they say money just heightens who you are. So, you know, you never know what the true story was. But they supposedly have turned to start drinking more. And things. Yeah, drinking more. And, 
He was hung over every game. They pretty much said that he would be really hung over, you know, when he was with the Rams. And he was talented, uh, you know. And, and like you said, a lot of that stems from where you go, the, the choices you make. Mm-hmm. You know, Saladin Sal- went to Oregon, but I would have loved to have seen him at SC, you know. It just – SC can oh, never absolutely. turn it around, you know. Like, they just didn't have the uh, – you know, they've the always had the talent. Coaching, were, the coaching always changed at SC. I think it was their biggest. You talked about Larry Smith earlier, and then Johns came back for a second stint. And of course, the Paul Hackett era, and then they 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 hit a home run with Pete. But it's it's been a kind of just the issue with the the coaching staff. I think has been such a turnover. But touching on that, Ronnie, when it comes to the local universities like SC and UCLA. And and when it comes to recruiting, what are your thoughts on how they recruit kids, especially, you know, black athletes, and in particular the quarterback? Do you see a difference with SC when it comes to things like that compared to UCLA? An African-American quarterback, you know, I don't know if that's a big prominent difference between the two. I yeah. think there's been some history of that. Like you said, again, uh, Curtis changed positions. I don't know if you remember Reggie Perry. He changed positions. He was the quarterback. Reg and Red Reg went to DB. So, you know, uh, Rodney P did well, you know. um, Mm -hmm. They had guys, and and so has UCLA. I I don't know. I I don't know if it's the pressure. I don't know if they're looking for necessarily like, oh, well, is this this the best fit or is like they're purposely trying to get an African-American quarterback or not? Like, I think it's highlighted because the kid Bryce Young, you guys missed out. Like, how did you get that done? Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe it's, because it's, the programs are not where they're at, you know? They're yeah, not it's, it's been general. so so many decades, Ronnie, with that. I mean, you mentioned Reggie Perry. They had Quincy Woods. Uh, he was another brother that I thought that could be a pretty good quarterback. Uh, Jason, Jason Thomas was a great athlete from Dominguez that they moved once Carson came. I think they moved him to tight end and he – didn't pan out, but I thought he was a pretty good quarterback if he got coached. Yeah. And Rocky yeah. Hines was another Rocky one. Got hurt. Yeah. yeah. He, I think he yeah. transferred to UNLV. There's been a lot of just what is, what could happen. You know, obviously, JT, it's like, man, you know, he, he was a – most people thought he was an NFL-type athlete, and it was like he got that injury, and Carson really came on, and it worked out for Carson, and he just – you just wonder sometimes that happens. And then you look at UCLA, to me, UCLA's problem, like you said, you have that defining moment, had that game canceled against Miami, they had to make that game up, and they were going to be oh. in the national championship game. I mm-hmm. think they would have really went on a run. If they had won that game and gotten that national championship game and maybe even won that game against Tennessee, mm-hmm. I mean, you think is the pro fall off? I, I don't I think they would have had a nice run. You know, yeah. so little little things happen. Again, like you said, Pete Carroll, again, they had great linemen then. I don't know if SC has ever had, after Pete Carroll, really had the line play. And then we all know that UCLA has never been known as the physical line team. You know what I mean? They did yeah. a little bit under Terry Donahue, but they really haven't for the last 30 years. Uh, talking to people, to be quite frank, around town all these years, it's like UCLA soft. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't really – I know some guys in the mid-2000s and Carl Durrell era – and they're like, we don't even practice hard. Like, we don't, we don't, we take practice some days off. Like, mm. it just doesn't have that culture where you look at a team, like you said, Nebraska with Osborne or Saban now Physical. with 
physical, like, you know, the UCLA especially doesn't have that. Now, SC has had that at various times, but just not consistently, like you said, over the years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one thing that's the difference. I mean, talking about that, it's just when it comes to the SEC, it's just the trenches. And that's where a lot of these Vanessa teams on the West Coast get beat, Oregon and some of the other ones, because they don't have that that depth in the trenches to compete. But you're right with SC. They, they, yeah. I mean, they Travis Claridge, I mean, Daryl uh, Russell. I mean, they, they had some pretty good linemen, and they had a pretty Tony good run early. In pre- oh, Tony was one of the best, uh, you know, ever, man. He was a beast. We went over the four guys that I liked, Matt Grudegood, Napoleon, Curtis, and Russell. So I guess the fifth guy I would add, mm-hmm. I want to go defense. Again, it's hard to say line, you know, linemen, linebackers to me can, can control the action a little bit more in high school. You know what I mean? Mm. They could be all over the place. Well, who was that and, you said? Carson? Uh, yeah, Arnold Ali. He played at Oh, Carson. Arnold Ali, yeah. yeah. And he played at Notre Dame and UCLA. Arnold um, Ali, yeah. He's the coach at Benny, right? Now, yeah, yeah, he's the coach. He's been at the coach at Carson for quite a while. Oh, you Carson. Know, he's been yeah. up, up and down. Like, he's been there. Maybe he's stopped back, and he's been athletic director. So Arnold was a chisel, 6'3", 220. Um, Lawrence Phillips on the offensive side. The defensive side, he just controlled the game. And I'll give you a funny thing. Uh, in 1987, when he was a senior, they had a two-deep linebacking core. So they had six linebackers. All of them went D1, right? Yeah. And, and so their, their three backups were Pac-10 running backs. And, I'm sorry, pack pack ten backers, and they had a problem because the problem they had, and it's kind of a funny problem. First of all, they had negative; they gave up negative rushing yards all season. They didn't, they Damn. didn't. The rushing yards was in the negative. They gave up like net, minus ninety rushing yards for the whole year. And that includes when you know they had a a game, well, the games where they actually gave up some yards. It's, they still got that many sacks and that many. Uh, tackles behind the line of scrimmage so um it's funny story and I, I got it from Troy Starr who later became the coach at Taft and went down to Helix and he, he was on Urban Meyer staff for a year I think at, at uh Florida he said we had a problem and the problem was Arnold would de- deplete the lead blocker almost every time just flatten him and would either trip over him or when our next guy in the hole would that guy would be on the floor or laid out so we we couldn't make the tackle because he was kind of in the way like does that make sense like when you block somebody mm-hmm. you, you you get off of them right and you go make the tackle right so right. Arnold would just deplete the guy almost every time right? wow so he's laying out and now they can't like He's like, it's, it's a problem we had. Like, yeah, he would get, he would get, yeah, it was a roadblock. He would get his feet tangled up in, in the guy he just depleted. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Trying to get to the to the ball carrier, and he just laughed about it because that's how good he was, and that's how good we were. And and Arnold started on Notre Dame's national championship team as a freshman in 1988. I mean, he had that big of an impact, and he mm-hmm. he, he played in the NFL, but he dominated statistically. He dominated in his look. Just how good he was, how he got off the ball. He had like 22 sacks, or whatever. I mean, Carson had a bunch of D1 players, but I mean, that's how good he was, you know. And uh, I, I would have to put him up there as a defender. 
just because of his impact. And like you say, it wasn't just like, oh, he was one of the good linebackers. Like he was the star and he started as a freshman on a national championship team. So I'll go with him. And then um, if you want to do basketball. Yeah, basketball. I know there's so many. I mean, Marquise Johnson, Tyson Sandler was really dominant with Dominguez for that era. And, uh, you know, DeMar DeRozan. There's so many guys California basketball. I don't know how you can narrow down to five, but, I mean, you can do your best. Paul Pierce from Inglewood. Paul Pierce. Didn't really come in with as much fanfare as some of the other Shea Cons and some other guys we talked about. Eddie Miller, Illusion Me Man. He wasn't really on that level, Kenny Brunner, as far as, like, his reputation. But it kept getting – he had a good – he was a good known player, and he just really blew up his junior year. And, by God, by his senior year, he was like a man among boys. He was – the best player on the West Coast. He was one of the best players in the country. Uh, no doubt, top five player in the country. I, I would have to go Stanley Johnson just because wow. he he uh, got it done. You know, if he may not be one of the most talented or the most talented of that group if, yeah. uh, on most people's Mount Rushmore, but if you win four D1 state titles in a row, like he's the only guy to do it at that highest level in the highest division, like you have to give it to him. And he performed and he stepped up. Especially his senior year, they mm-hmm. lost a starter like a week before uh, school, uh, week before the season started. And I looked at the roster. I'm like, there's no way they're going to win this fourth title. They're just not going to be talented enough. And like he did it, 35 and 0. Like he led them. You know what I mean? He was. Yeah, he was a beast, he, though. He he really got it done. And I I give Stanley credit no matter what. And I'm glad to see him help out the Lakers now. But yeah, he he did the stay another night. Yeah, yeah, he's hopping out. He's a good, solid pro. He's he's finding his niche. He's maturing. He's still a young guy, and I'm happy for him. So was yeah, he teammates me. with uh, with uh, Strawberry? Uh, Strawberry's much older. Oh, he was much yeah. older. Okay, I don't know why I thought they were in the same era. Okay, part or something. Um, the next guy would be Lonzo Ball. I just think he championship team. They went undefeated. Obviously, they're they're. Already a legendary team, only five years after they graduated high school. Uh, Lonzo, uh, you know, was kind of the the key to the engine, kind of the key on a team that now has, what, three other guys in the NBA. So, you know, uh, a Kongu's a lottery pick, his little brother's lottery pick. Eli Scott was good, and, and so was his brother Jello. I mean, that's already a legendary team, and he kind of made them go. 25 triple doubles as a senior. I mean, the guy could do it all at the high school level. Uh, my last guy, I think, would be Ed O'Bannon. Ed was a complete package. He played hard. He played a win. He got it done. He was the best player in the country, senior at Artesia. Um, again, I think most people now know Ed as kind of like being that guy involved in the NCAA versus O'Bannon case, and he didn't have a really great pro career, but he got it done for – I mean, UCLA – if UCLA is a blue-blood school, right? I mean, mm. they've only won one title in 50 years since John Wooden retired. And, like, it's because, you know, of Ed's leadership and his ability. Obviously, Tyus Edney hit that great shot against Missouri. But without Ed leading them that whole season, that was how they got it done. And, and I, I really am a big fan of Ed, and he was really that good in high school as well. So those would be yeah. my four guys. Uh, okay, yeah. So, one more top five, top five. So, you got yeah. Lonzo, and then you said Paul Pierce, yep. Stanley. and then Stanley Johnson and Ed O'Bannon. So, your last one would be 
tough. Um, can I cheat and go Deshaun Stevenson or Tyson Chandler? I think Deshaun's more of a Fresno NorCal guy, so I'll go Tyson. Oh, okay. You know, uh, uh, Tyson, another guy who led his team to the national championship. A little different than Lonzo because they lost. They lost. They didn't go undefeated. But they had such a big and good, talented team. I mean, Russell Otis did a really good job, yeah. you know, with, with what he did at Dominguez. And that was kind of like the guy who took them over to the top. I think Kenny Brunner, Jason, and uh, Tayshon kind of put them on the national map. And then, like, Tyson kind of, like, finished the job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think Tyson is the first guy you look in the late 90s because of what student sports did. They signed a – a game of the week deal with, with Fox. And that was student sports did that originally. Now the Southern section kind of controls that, but 20 years later, but back then we, we decided to, to that, you know, high school sports should be on TV. And I think Tyson on the basketball side and Justin Vargas on the football side was really the guys that really benefited from that. I just mm -hmm. remember my cousin said it at the time. It was random. He goes, he goes, dang, Ronnie, he's on Justin's on TV more than Kobe Bryant. He's on Fox more than Kobe Bryant. I'm like, Justin, well, they always showed his highlights. They were always talking about what he was doing. Man. And he was awesome that year, 97. That was the fall of 97. And it was great to see Tyson Chandler kind of like grow up on TV. So I think even before then, we had superstars in high school sports. But I think Tyson was really the first one that really the whole Southern California really grew up watching. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they, they were on TV. Domingo's on TV every other week when his four right. years there. They were always in the big game. So kudos to, to, to Andy Bark and the guys for helping take high school sports to the level. Kudos to Fox for televising those games. And, and, and it was kind of a great – yeah, the exposure. It was kind of a great era for football and basketball because they finally got on TV. Now, they had that game on KCOP once in a while. Like, yeah, you know, I remember that. Yeah, you, know, you, you try to <laughs> catch it. Yeah. yeah, Friday night. You try, if you're not going out with the homies, you try to catch the game. But yeah. Fox really took it to the next level with their coverage. So, you know, I'm glad they did. And I'm sure everybody's glad they did. There's a lot of great memories to watch those teams. So those are my five guys. Well, okay, Ronnie, man. Thank yeah. you yeah, just for, for coming on and, and – just blessing our listeners with the knowledge of, of SoCal sports and just the layout of the land of how everything goes from, from your perspective. Uh, just let the audience know where they can support and follow your work in any way. SoCalHighSports.com and my Twitter is R-O-N-M Flores, at Ron M. Flores. So I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Another great show in the books. Thank you again for coming on, Mr. Flores. 